Hi there. Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. This week, we're going to be listening to the anthem performed by the Sanctuary Choir titled Psalm of Hope and the sermon preached by Dr. Ezell called What Do You Mean Repent? Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you. 
was the 1993 meeting of the American Heart Association in Atlanta, I believe. And they had gathered these physicians to discuss matters of heart disease and healthy eating, healthy living, and uh, they broke for lunch. And they all went to this greasy barbecue place. One of the members of the press approached one of them and said, excuse me, you've been talking about eating healthy and you're here eating this greasy fatty barbecue place. And he said, oh, I took my name tag off. True story, I think. Sometimes Jesus speaks to the masses, and there's a word for the masses in this passage. And sometimes he brings the message inside the walls. And from Wednesday night's Ash Wednesday service, I began thinking about those ashes on the forehead, on the back of the hand, and how if I went to the grocery store that night, or to the convenience store on the way home, someone was going to see those ashes on my forehead. And what that might say to them. And to thinking about what is truly in my heart. And what should be our motives for living our Christian faith. Jesus teaches us how to practice our devotion to God properly, how to do it in the right way. Some of us, for the season of Lent, have given up something, or we vow to include a spiritual practice for these 40 days. I think he addresses these kinds of practices by critiquing those of his day who enjoyed doing them for appearances, especially the reverends. Now, this is in the passage, the same sermon, that is, where he says that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of Pharisees and scribes, the reverence. How in the world will our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the reverence? But when I was a kid in youth group, that we had these envelopes. Maybe we had those here, I don't know. And on the front of the envelope, which was meant for the offering, there was a checklist. Do you remember these? A checklist that you would check off as you turned in your envelope. Giving offering, Bible brought, Bible read daily, studied lesson, attending worship, visitors brought or invited. How many of those can you check off? I would have been honest and checked one or two of those, but you had to put your name on the envelope. And we had this pastor that liked to read. I think he liked to read those envelopes. They were, for me, spiritual examinations, righteousness tests, a way to grade how faithful I was 
how good I was for the weak and for others to grade my faith too. Because at the bottom of that envelope, there was a little box for total. How many of these you had done? And I didn't feel like a bad Christian. I prayed constantly. I'm sure it was for forgiveness mostly. I memorized scripture. I was in Bible drills, like many of you. I was at church at least three times a week. Shared my faith from time to time. Wore my Bible out. But on average Sunday, I would have gotten maybe a D. D plus or a C on a good week. Not only that, I felt like it made me a liar to some extent because I knew who was going to be reading my envelope. And I didn't want them sending that to the convention and me looking like a loser Christian. So maybe I checked one or two that I shouldn't have checked. They could prove whether I gave an offering. They could prove whether or not I had studied my lesson, I think, or brought my Bible. But they couldn't prove if I'd read it daily. So I might check that one. You ever done anything for appearances? Was that a, a coffee shop one time? You pick a day. And I think I may have put a tip in the jar on this particular day. And I went to put it in, but they didn't see my tip. I wanted to reach in, get it back out, and put it back in so they would see I gave them a tip. But I knew, sure enough, if I took that out, they were going to see me pulling tips out of their jar. But the appearance was so important. There were other tests for my home church. Those were the understood do's and don'ts. These weren't the ones that Jesus gave us. These are the ones that our leadership gave us. But you know, here were ours. Boys have to keep their hair cut short. Girls could never wear pants, only dresses. Boys and girls couldn't swim together. Good Christians never got tattoos. And they never went on a date without a Bible between them. I had a thin New Testament, by the way. <laughs> couldn't listen to certain kinds of music. You know all those do's and don'ts. The spirituality exams. I found out that the burden of keeping all those rules was too much. And you know who was there when I could never be good enough? A lot has changed since we filled out those envelopes. I wonder what we might put on those today if we had a checklist. Side hug, maybe. Christian blog read daily. Bible verses posted on Facebook. Number of people you said you'd pray for and number of people you actually prayed for. You wore some Christian theme article of clothing or a bracelet number of times you quoted C.S. Lewis, attending traditional service, attending contemporary service, 
attending non-traditional, post-contemporary, non-fat, no-whip service, Christian fish on your car, voted for this amendment or voted for this candidate, what would you add to your test? We do have our tests, even those that Christ never gave us. The ones we use to judge ourselves and to judge others. God told Adam in the garden, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think because when you do, you will think you know not only when you are good or evil, but also you'll be able to judge others of whether they are good or evil. So most of us, I imagine, have failed those righteousness tests, spirituality exams. But the good news is this. Jesus says it's not about appearances. Perhaps not about attendance records or keeping the traditions of putting stickers on our cars or following the rules to the T, impressing our church friends or our pastors voting for a certain party. He boils them down to two or three, depending on how you read it. Love others. Love God. You know, love yourself. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself, as you know him. Now, either he was making the test easier to pass, or maybe he was saying that if you passed these, you passed all of them. Love God, love your neighbor. I think he critiques the reverends because they've made up these tests that everyone else had to take. He does a, a radical thing upsetting the authorities by putting our righteousness, our devotion to God back into our hands and takes it out of the hands of the authorities. Your faith, your devotion is between you and God. It's a good reminder that God is watching part of that, but it's between you and God, your audience of one, as I've heard it called. Back then, there were three practices of religious folk to show devotion to God, prayer, fasting, giving alms to the poor. These are good. Never does Jesus say, don't do any of these. But he does say, in essence, let them be a matter of your heart. Do them with sincerity, not as if passing a test or pleasing the reverence, but pleasing God. But what about those of us in jobs or professions where the opinion of others matters? 
for candidates who get photo ops serving pancakes or the camera crew catching us flying over areas of devastation or pastors going to a convention just to say we've went. Some of us have jobs where we end up doing things for attention or the opinion of others. He says, if you can't do your acts of devotion privately, if you can't do them in your closet between you and God, then your only reward is the attention of the people you seek to impress. There are those of us who will shout publicly how we are different. Many of us proud of our religiousness want others to see how we're different. A story Fred Craddock tells of a time in his own hometown, in his church, there was a family. The church itself was proud of how it was different from the community and the pastor wanted everybody to let the community see how different they were from others. And there was a particular family that had several girls in the, about the, the age he was in school and his grade and he said it was rather painful for them because they made their girls come to school looking more like their grandmothers. He said they had long dresses, long sleeve shirts year round, hot as everything, tied up to here, no makeup, no cutting of the hair. He said, but there was one who broke away from the group. He said, I remember the year it happened. She went to the girls' restroom. He said, I was not in there, but the way I hear it told, she went into the girls' restroom. She rolled up the waistband of her skirt to the length the other girls were wearing theirs. He said they, that she undid her blouse a bit, that she opened the collar of her blouse, that she rolled up her sleeves, put some eyeshadow and some lipstick on, pulled her long hair up and put it behind her right ear and came out of the restroom looking like everybody else. And that afternoon when the bell rang to go home, she went back into the restroom and came out looking like she was expected to look at church and in her home. How different we are from you because of our religion. Is our devotion to God for appearances, for the opinions of others, or from the sincerity of our heart? The room Jesus describes we call closet could also be called a pantry probably the center of the house, the room where there were no windows, where you would go and no one could see you. Absolutely no one, except for God. Jesus did say, you are salt 
and light. There is a public aspect of your faith. But to remember that light does not shine for itself and that salt is not to make itself taste better. The motives and intentions of our actions ought to be for God. But that's hard for many of us who are grading the actions of others and who grade ourselves on how we impress others. How exhausting, I think, and I know, to live out of obligation and out of appearances. I remember, true story, the janitor was cleaning the office of my seminary preaching professor. She thought she was alone, vacuuming, dusting, and in sorts. He walked in. It surprised her. She yelled out, bleep. I don't even know what the word was. Embarrassed. Here's the preaching professor. And I just said a bad word. She was thoroughly embarrassed, apologized over and over again for saying it. And he finally said, it's okay. I don't trust anyone that doesn't say bleep from time to time. How exhausting to live to please others. Wouldn't it take a burden off our shoulders if we could live for God, for the audience of one? Stories told of a man, he regularly went to the neighborhood bar drank himself into a drunken stupor, staggered home to the dismay of his wife. Well, one evening his wife had had enough. He came home drunk, vomited all over the kitchen floor. She called the pastor. He came over to help with matters and helped carry him up the stairs and put him into bed, and he said a prayer over this man. He said, Dear Lord, as you look upon this vomiting drunk, suddenly the man interrupted the pastor and says, Shh, don't tell him I'm drunk. Tell him I'm sick. Who are we fooling anyway? No wonder we'd rather hide our true self than to be honest, even in church. Roberta Porter writes this. God wants our lives not Sunday morning shiny, but all the fragments of our failures. Shards of struggle and sin we've gathered, hidden on our way. And in Jesus' transforming love, his willing brokenness and sacrifice, Rising out of our sorrow and pain, they become gifts to be used for others. Our weakness, the dwelling place for the Spirit's strength. Our broken open lives, bearers 
of God's grace. What if instead of the pressure we put on ourselves and on others to live perfect lives, what if we left this place knowing that what really matters is our devotion to God and how God sees us. And simply live to serve Christ in the privacy of our closet. You don't need me to know how devoted you are to God. You don't need the approval of the reverence. You don't need the approval of your friends not to pray, fast, give. You just need the attention of God. Pray with me, please. God, you know our hearts better than anyone else. You know whether we're sincere or whether we're putting on a show. Forgive us. Help our devotion come from the bottom of our hearts. And to be only for your eyes. In Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Baltimore Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.